0: God of restoration. He's a God who wants to bring us into his love and experience that. And all, all love's experienced ultimately, isn't it? You can talk about love all day. But when you see it, and I, I, I'm a sucker for a good love story, and I don't, man, I don't mind how black it is, as long as there's some redemption. You know, you, you want to see it? You want to see someone's heart turn to another? Or turn to God? And I feel this way because God has shown me his love. He's shown me his, his love for me in his son, Jesus. And uh, there's many um, times uh, when we see this in movies, and there's, I've got a litany of movies, a big string of movies that I sort of rank in strange ways, best beginning, best middle, best end. You probably think I'm mental, but uh, that's okay. I just have these things and I'm looking for it. Are you looking for it when you're watching a movie? I'm looking for that moment where I go, that's the moment. And I take that away. And there was a movie that I saw uh, quite a few years ago um, and it was entitled, uh, uh, it was a movie about marriage. And the thing about when we think about marriage, if you were to use any of those words to describe marriage, which one of those images stand out for you? Is it about the contract? Is it about, you know, the pen you've signed on that dotted line? I'm marrying someone next to Sunday. And uh, first time in my career as a marriage celebrant, they sent me the whole script. I didn't even have to do it. They just wrote it all out and said, can you do that? Which is a bit of a surprise. <laughs> and it was all about, it was not about the contract. You see those two images under the hand and the rings, commitment, commitment. And human human connection. Love is ultimately experienced. And uh, there's a movie I watched a few years ago. It was called Fool's Rush In. And it starred Matthew Perry from Friends and Salma Hayek. Uh, and they play, uh, tells the story of a young American construction supervisor, Alex Whitman, uh, and a Mexican photographer, Isabel uh, Fuentes. And they have a chance meeting in Las Vegas. And long story short... Um, She finds herself pregnant after a few months and she goes back to tell Alex as a matter of honour, because she's a proud Mexican woman, that he is the father of her child. And, you know, whatever we might think of that morally, I have my own, you know, issues with uh, relationships before marriage and I'm clear, uh, you know, happy to talk about that. But the story is a love story and in an act of, you know, in a sort of a rush of the moment, he follows her out the door and they talk and they decide to get married. And what ensues in this movie, ensues, is them with their clash of cultures between Mexican culture and sort of white Anglo-European culture, as you can just imagine. Imagine my big fat Greek wedding in America, but with Mexicans and white Anglo-Americans and there's, it's a great little story, it's funny, she's got Mexican brothers who all hate him because they're strong Catholic boys and he, he's got their sister pregnant and the, the energy's palpable in the room, it goes on. But the big thing is them learning to love one another. And in a critical moment when Isabel believes that all is lost between her and Alex, she goes home on a visit to her great-grandmother. And she asks for advice and she's very proud and strong-minded and she expresses her anger and disappointment in Alex and in herself and what they've got themselves into and you know, and her decision to leave, and that's it, and I'm sick of doing this, and it's cost too much. And to her surprise, to Isabel's surprise, her great-grandmother realises what's going on and doesn't really support her the way, oh, poor baby, yeah. She tells her something quite different. She says that you need to fight for your future. And in one of the most truest things that's ever been said in cinema, she says a line, and out of this, comes redemption for this couple. And we're going to look at that in a movie that we, if we could just turn down the lights and listen to these words. It's a great little scene when she visits her mother and it shows us this nature of power between two human beings. No te traiciono tu fe. Te traiciono tu miedo. estaba perdida, eso es todo. Pero ahora puedo no tomar mis propias decisiones. ¡Qué egoísta eres! ¿Pensando que tú sabes más que el amor? Nanita, si, si él hubiera dado cuenta de que yo seguía embarazada, no se hubiera ido. Y él quería irse. Así es que lo dejé libre. No, te libraste tú. Y no escuchaste tu corazón y le mintiste al hombre que tú amas. ¿Por qué? que si yo no lo hubiera dejado, él me hubiera dejado a mí. Y yo no lo hubiera podido soportar. Isa. Tú nunca vas a conocer el amor si no te entregas a él. <ríe> and there we go isn't that wonderful i'm just a sucker for that but there you go that powerful line where she says you will never know love unless you surrender to it and i think there's no truer words in the world than that apart from the fact that god loves us Uh, When it comes to knowing God's will, it is always found in abandoning ourselves into the love of God. Because the Bible says God is love. This This is the most significant and searching journey of your life and mine. If I was ever to give a message of finding God's will in the midst of difficulties and struggle, this is it. You've got it, boutique audience. As I struggled through this, God searched my heart. And he searched my heart because I'm as broken and as wounded as everyone else. And as I seek God's will in my life, a will that God promises is full of adventure, full of struggle, full of joy. We can know God's will if we surrender to his love, his person. And we call this utter abandonment to God and his purposes and um, into God we, we call that many different things, but one thing we call it is the word worship. When we hear the word worship, we often think of singing, we think of praying, we think of church on Sunday perhaps, we think of standing and sitting like we've done this morning. But worship is a word of abandonment. It's a word where we abandon ourselves into the love and to the arms of God. The outcome of worship is God himself. All his peace, all his joy, all his adventure, all his life. Now, those struggles to overcome our heart of resistance to God, they never leave us. There's something in us that struggles with that at the same time as wanting it. The Apostle Paul says that. He says, In my spirit, I want God. All of me wants Him. But I struggle with my flesh holding God at arm's length. Do you struggle with that? Is that just me? No, we do. We feel it. But in worship, we find something. And if worship is never without difficulty personally or as a group of people. And partnership with God in worship, partnership with God and finding His will for our lives every day is a, is a journey of, of walking with Him. And how do we partner with God in His life-changing mission of love? Because God gives us this so that we can share it, like I shared a few weeks ago. It's like a river, His presence. and His, If you hold it and let your life be a cul-de-sac... Like on a river, if water gets caught up and swirls around, it gets full of filth. It needs to move on and be flushed out by the ever-powering love of God. And in today, we're going to be looking at that sense of how we partnership with God by seeking God's will, the journey of a love story to the ends of the world and the ends of our lives and existence in searching every part of our hearts And every part of our life in this world. And I want to look at how do we partnership with God. And there's a great passage in Scripture that talks about this in the book of Acts, where the church was struggling and being birthed and struggling through what's right and wrong, good and error, truth and evil, truth and error, good and evil in their church and the world. And in Acts 13, we see the church seeking God's will for mission. And this is what we read in this passage, how God reveals himself. So I'm just going to read this. You can uh, read along silently as I read it. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, and he lists a few names, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. We get to know Saul a bit later as Paul the Apostle. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. So after they'd fasted and fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant to the proconsul, a Roman governor called Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elemas, the sorcerer, for that's what his name means, the same guy as Bar-Jesus, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elemas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him, that's Elemas, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching of the Lord." So how do we partner with God in his life-changing mission of love? You and I have been called to a mission of sharing that love, that love story, seeking that moment of redemption where people surrender, as we have done, to the loving abandonment of God. How do we do that and journey with that? Well, there's nothing more exciting and adventurous in all the world than journeying that journey because it requires all of us And this is as we seek his will, both as a church, because remember, this is a story about the church, but also involves two people set aside for that. And we live our lives within a church, but we live our lives also week by week in our families and individually. So we can seek to apply this to our lives, these nuggets of gold that God gives us. And this passage centers around how we can partner with God in this. If you're seeking to know God's will, what he has planned for you. This passage is a wonderful passage for that. The first thing we learn about this this is good news too, believe me. The first thing we learn about partnering with God in your life and my life is this, that we partner with God as we worship him. We partner with God as we worship him. As it says here in this passage, I've read that they're in the church, all these men and the whole church is worshiping. And while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. This is a real key. The church suffered internal confusion and conflict and external conflict on the outside. The church was a confused place. It didn't take long. It didn't take 2,000 years to have problems. This is 30 years after the life of Jesus went to heaven. Within the lifetime of the living apostles, the church had struggles within about what was right and wrong, truth and error, good and evil, people sleeping with the mother-in-laws, all sorts of evil was in the church. Struggle. Who's in charge? God's in charge. Are you in charge, Paul? You're not really an apostle. Peter, we don't believe you. Who are you? John, what do you know about God? The apostles had to say, we are eyewitnesses to the living Jesus. He's called us to do this. They're struggling inside, struggling on the outside. They were struggling getting persecuted and over this the Holy Spirit shadows and calls and sends his church out and he does it as they worship him now I think that's a wonderful promise for us because it says that before you and I ever do anything great for God before God ever expects us to go and conquer the world for Jesus and be a missionary and win 20 people for Jesus and do anything he says come come to me you who are heavy laden and I will give you rest Come and worship me. Let us be bound together in an utter abandonment of relationship together called worship. And that's what worship is. Whatever we do on a Sunday that honors God and glorifies him and lifts up his name and connects us to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, whether it be on Sunday as a group or privately, alone, this is where God wants to begin with us. It's like when a married couple get married and they hold each other's hands, they don't know the future, and they look into each other's eyes on that wedding day and they say, I do. I don't know what the future holds, but I know that I love you. And wherever you are in marriage, if you do that, and that's meaningful, you're going to be okay, aren't you? I've seen couples go through hell, cancer, persecution, terrible issues, But they hold each other's hands and they love each other. And that's what God's saying in worship. He's saying, worship me, connect with me, love me. And out of that, he shadows and directs and calls and sends his church. And he uses people. He uses his people, all that we are. He uses his people. He names these people. He uses their gifts. He uses his church. And he uses two particularly, Barnabas and Paul. Now, Barnabas was not an apostle. He was one of the church, early church, who were in Jerusalem. And he was the one, remember when the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9 became a follower of Jesus after hating Jesus, it was Barnabas who led him. The, the church were all afraid of the Apostle Paul. And Barnabas led Paul to the leaders of the church and stuck up for him and said, No, this is, God is doing this, introduced him. And so this church has started in Antioch. Um, And the church is started um, in a way that is really amazing. And it's been started by non-apostles. This church was started by people who heard the gospel and then were persecuted out of Jerusalem. Some went to Antioch, this city near Jerusalem. And this church was founded by Greek-speaking non-apostles, non-Jews. And there was a big revival took place. And so they sent Barnabas down there to check it out. They didn't send an apostle. They sent Barnabas. He was so trusted. He goes down there and he sees what's happening and he says, I know who you need. You need a man who's been called by God, who's born a Jew, trained as a Jew in the great schools of Jewish religion and faith under Gamaliel, the great teacher. But he was born a Roman citizen. He's been studied Greek and Greek language for his whole life. His name is Saul. So he goes off. Barnabas goes off and gets Saul who's gone back to Tarsus, which was his hometown, a Greek-speaking place, a Roman town. And he has to find him, it says in the Bible, in Acts 11. He brings him to Antioch, and these people are worshipping God. And out of that, the Holy Spirit guides them. And what this tells us is the absolute importance of worship and prayer as the beginning of clarity and service and mission and power. Because let's not forget what God's mission is. It starts with God, does it not? It starts with who He is and His Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's His power, His guidance, His church, His gospel. And worship, when we connect with God, does something to connect us to who He is. And out of that comes a a want to be His instrument, His child, who shares that with others in the world, and we get sent. And the history of mission and revival come out of an abandonment of people to God in worship and if our church wants God's will if you want God's will if I want God's will he says come to me and worship me and history is littered with stories of great revivals that began with the simplest act of utter abandonment I was I used to be a great reader of the Welsh revivals you know Wales England Scotland and in the 1700s as a great revival broke out in Wales And one of the stories is just a lovely story of how in a church they gathered like this and they were singing and praying for God to do a great work in Wales. And there was a little girl in that church, a teenager, who stood up in the middle of that meeting. And she said simply, I love Jesus with all of my heart. And it was just like pandemonium from God broke out across that congregation where people went, God is a God of love. He can capture a human heart. And when people connected to that, a great revival broke out in their lives and right across that town, a town that was known for drinking and violence and sexual immorality, uh, so full of not evil but bad language, was it? that the horses from the miners wouldn't, you know, the coal miners, wouldn't move forward unless they heard expletives in the initial instruction. Okay? And these coal miners, at that time, just felt, some were walking down the street and just fell to their knees, cried out for God. Great revival came out of this declaration of this little girl, this teenager. And this is a challenge for you and me because when you and I think of mission, I don't know, what, you mightn't be like me, I hope you're not, but whenever I think of mission, I tend to go to my default position which is planning, organisation, resources, logistics, time management, training. When I've got a problem, that's where I go. I, I, I'm currently working in a new job, I'll tell you about it in a minute. But what struck me is I'm trying to, there's needs in this organisation I'm working for and my initial heart is to train people. What training can we give them? But that's not what God's about. He might train us. But at the start he says, fall in love with me. And I think that rings true. We know that to be true in our marriages and our friendships. You can do all those other things well, but if you don't hold one another's hands, look into each other's eyes and have a genuine connection of love in the midst of brokenness and woundedness, notwithstanding, it doesn't really matter, does it? But if you've got that love, you can move forward. This is what God says. We partner with Him as we worship. The second thing is we partnership with God, or we partner with God as we're led by the Holy Spirit into the known and unknown places of our lives. So we see here... In these verses, and I've given you just 11 verses from 1 through to 12, 12 verses, but it goes right through to 51. There's two great stories here of God breaking in. And we see this idea that while they were still worshipping, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart me Barnabas and Saul for the work I've called them. And the two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. So they were sent on their way. They were worshipping God, but they were God sent and, and empowered us, these people, into mission through his presence in their life. So he doesn't just say, worship me here, and then off you go in your own strength. He empowers it and he walks with them. So when Jesus says, come to me, you who are heavy laden, for I will give you rest, that's not the whole verse, is it? He moves on and says, journey with me. Walk with me. My burden is easy. My way is light. You'll find rest for your souls as you journey. God doesn't abandon us at the beginning of our Christian life and go, great, now you're forgiven. Now be a very good person and work hard for me until you're dead and then you get to go to heaven. No, he says, I will walk with you. I will send you. I will guide you. And this is what happened to this group, these two men. Who, they went on a, a, the first missionary tour from where they were in Antioch. See, this is Jerusalem down here. They went up to Antioch. They sailed across to, Paph- to Cyprus and went around there to Salamis, to Paphos, and went around the whole town. Then they went up and then went to another place called Antioch. There's two Antiochs. Antioch in Poseida and then Antioch in Phine- you know, down this area, Phoenicia Damascus. So that's important. A lot of people get confused. There's two Antiochs. They did a missionary tour. But in our little verses, they went here and went through Cyprus. And God led them through the Holy Spirit. And they had a rollicking ride of a time. That's all I'll say. What an adventure. Power encounters, truth encounters, allegiance encounters. They shared the gospel in the synagogues, the known of their life. They were Jewish men. But they also shared it in the unknown places of their life. Before Sergius Paulus, before the prophet Bar-Jesus, the false prophet, who was called uh, Elemas, the sorcerer. And there were people who were interested in what they said and there were people who weren't interested. And isn't this the truth of our lives when we want to know what God wants us? We go to the known places of our lives, our family, our friends, our culture. We also, maybe our work, we go to the unknown places of our lives. Places where we're just travelling around. We might go to the to the movies. We might go to the beach. We might go to Adventure World. We might go down to the shops. Some of these places are known. Some are unknown. It's new. You're meeting new people. God's at work in all of those. And in the midst of that, there is great interest, and there is great opposition wherever we go. There's a sense of God guiding. There's a sense of God looking and and, and showing us. And in this passage, the proconsul is interested. Uh, But Elemas is not interested. And Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, takes on Elemas, the sorcerer. And in what we call today like a power encounter, whose God is really in charge, he says, the God of the universe is in charge. You're a child of the devil. You're evil. And I'm going to show you that in a way that you can understand. And he makes him blind. In other times, the Apostle Paul healed people who were interested in God and weren't sure. Jesus healed people who weren't sure. To the Jews, the Apostle Paul tended to do not miracles, but he went to their their Old Testament law and the light that was contained in that. And Jesus, with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, didn't do many miracles around, around them. And when they did, they hated him all the more, really. He taught from the Scriptures. But for people who weren't sure about God and their worldview was, show me, then I'll know, Jesus did miracles. And the Apostle Paul does a miracle here. It's a miracle of punishment. Notice he says, for a time. So it's not forever, but this is who's in charge. And the proconsul sees this and he believes. He was interested, he's an intelligent man, but the miracle turns his heart. And in your life and in my life, we're drawn to the unknown places and the known places of our lives. And as we seek God's will in worship, he he guides us into this adventure. He guides us the where, the how, the what, the who, and the why. And in verse 42, it says in these passages, For all who were called were saved. And I, I've seen that in my own life. And I, I'm a bit always reticent to talk too much about my own life and God's journeying with me. But some of you might know that I've, I've changed jobs from being a full-time chaplain in the WA prison system. Um, and I was actually there three days a week and then an army reserves as a chaplain for two days a week. While I was there, there was a whole sort of a holy discontent. I kept praying, God, show me, use me in a way. And God led me to that for three years. And boy, it was really a great privilege. But there was I, I kept thinking, God, just use all of me. And then out of that came a phone call where a mate of mine who's a pastor at another church says, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm ringing you. I hadn't heard from him for a long time, for a while. I usually go and preach at his church occasionally. And I thought that was one of these calls. He says, Neil, I'm just ringing on behalf of someone and I want you to think about applying for the job of police chaplain in WA that's coming up. I didn't even know there was a job for a police chaplain. I said, really? Okay, is there a police chaplain? Yeah, yeah, this is how it works. Oh my goodness, they're getting a new chaplain. Someone wants you to apply for that job. Okay, and the job's being advertised tomorrow. Throw your hat in the ring. All right, so I have a look. Oh, there it is. I apply, throw him I I was talking to Jacqueline. I don't know, is this God's will? I like the prisoners a bit. I'm discontent. There's a holy discontent. And Jacqueline said something quite wise. She said, Neil, this job, the police chaplain's job, is going to use more of you. It's going to be bigger than you, right? It's going to use all of you in the complexity of it. And I was thinking about that and praying about that and thinking, you know, you can't just say no to that. You have to throw your hat in the ring. And so I applied and the Lord would have it that I, I, I won that position. I got that position. Praise the Lord. It's his work. But what struck me is that, make no mistake, I am a weary servant at the moment because it is a tough job. You know, you know what's happened over the last couple of weeks in police in this state. We don't go in there. We serve the officers who serve them who serve those situations. And it uses all of me. And just in the last two weeks, I've had people interested. I've had people declare they're atheists in front of me. Other people want prayer. I've been talking to groups of people in training. I've been talking to people who are wounded and struggling marital breakdowns and indiscretions and infidelities. This is no different than army. But now it's this. So I'm five days a week in the police and two days a week in the army and oh man i tell you i need a bowl of wheaties in the morning but it's all of god leading me and i say with great humility in this this is not about me but when you say to god god show me your will guide me in your spirit use all of me be careful what you pray for because he goes all right i'll start making that happen might well, take a while. It took three and a half years in the prisons for this job to sort of be created, but I was getting training in a system there, with officers in blue, who I might add are a tough, cook bunch of cookies. You ever want a tough job? Serve in prisons as a prison officer for forty years. One of them, I met one of them. Forty years he served in the blue, unnamed, unseen, unthanked. That's the three words that I learned to describe prison officers: unnamed, unseen. Unthanked. When do we ever think about prison officers getting spat on, punched in the head, kicked, and while they're being beaten, all the prisoners are in the cells going, Yeah, give it to them! I saw that. They do it for 40 years. And with great dignity often. They treat these men and women with great respect. Not always. They're broken, wounded themselves. But that's the people we serve. If you want God to use all of you, just start praying, God, I want you in worship. And then out of that, he will guide you. He will partner you. And in the midst of that, he will give you some good news to share. Now, I'm not going to explain this too much except to say what the Bible says, that this is the message of God to you, my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is the word of God to the world. My friends, the Apostle Paul said, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. A justification, which is like a declaration of legal and moral righteousness. It's like you go in front of a judge and a judge says, you've been found innocent. Imagine facing a murder charge in front of a judge, wrongly convicted or rightly, whatever. And the judge says, I've seen all the evidence, you're not guilty. Wouldn't you feel relief? I'm not spending the rest of my life in prison. That's what justification means. You were not able to attain this under the law of Moses. And we are given that message to the world. Isn't it a great word, forgiveness? I love that word. It deals with so much of the brokenness of our lives. And if you do a deep study of the religions of the world, just Google it. Religions of the world, a view of forgiveness. There's one religion in the world, one spirituality, that just shines like a diamond on the black velvet of humanity compared to the lumps of coal. And what do you think it is? Christianity. Forgiveness. Grace. And I'll often say to people who come to me as atheists, one of the questions I ask them is, how do you deal with guilt and shame? How do you deal with forgiveness without God? It's a very interesting conversation. The great promise of God is forgiveness. Forgiveness and undeserved love. Utterly drunk with love. Forgiveness that he bore. A forgiveness that was born and birthed because of God's love. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We didn't manufacture it. God gave it as an utter gift of his grace. And this is we we share that good news. And then there's so, uh, there's so many gospel messages where the Apostle Paul shares that. And you and I can have that same message as we share what God's done in our life. And then finally, we receive his joy. I love this passage. The disciples were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. The last verse of the whole chapter is this. That they were filled with joy. The greatest gift of God in pressure and persecution and struggle and desiring His will. The greatest gift of God is God Himself. And God gives us Himself because in Him we have everything we need. And there's, how do we partner with this mission of love? We partner in these ways. And I want to share the story of a couple of people, just to finish, of some great warriors for the Christian faith. C.T. Studd, captain of the English cricket team, played the Ashes, was the world's best batsman. He was so prolific in scoring runs in the late 1800s that people thought about changing the rules of cricket because they've perfected the art of the fine cut. You know what the fine cut is? ball is bold and you just go clip through to, third, uh, to through to fo- uh, third man just push he played as captain of the cricket team became a follower of Jesus through the ministry of DL Moody in England and this is his creed in life. If Christ be God and died for me, no sacrifice can be too great for me. And the reason for me to make for him. And the reason I put him up is notice the three photos. Him as a young man, him as a middle-aged man, and him as an old man. Serving Jesus is a great adventure that will capture your whole life. And this is where he died. In the middle of the Congo. In a mark grave. What's striking about this man Is that when he became a follower of Jesus, he's come from a very rich family, his father when he died gave him one hundred and twenty-five thousand English pounds in eighteen ninety. The buying power of one hundred and twenty-five thousand English pounds today is nine million dollars, there's a calculator. So someone gives you nine million dollars. When he gets he gives when he gets that God has called him to mission, he gives half of it away to the purposes of mission. And he got married, he married his bride, and he gave half to her as a wedding gift. And she gave the other half away. And you know why? He said, if I'm going to serve God in faith, I cannot be relying on the money, this money. I have to serve him in a way that allows me to rely on his giving in faith. How many of us would do that for mission? I don't think anybody would do that. They say, i oh, just live on the, live on the interest. it would be fantastic. You never have to burden anybody. It'll all be great. He goes, no. Now, I'm not saying that's the only way. There are other people who did it different ways and were happy to receive the money from God. But that was his commitment. Here's another young lady, Amy Carmichael. She said this, missionary life is simply a chance to die. In seeking God's will, a die to our own dreams and our own goals, but to live for God's. Amy is a young woman Amy is a middle aged woman and Amy is an older lady. Mission will capture your life, your adventure, it'll capture your age, it will capture your beauty. And this is where Amy's her her nickname was Am I, which just means mother. You can see it here. Maybe just. I've got other friends who are serving God in mission. The Crane family, they served them. They started mission in their early 20s. Now they're in their early 40s, late 40s. They've got five kids. I saw those kids grow up via via, um, emails and texts. I've got another friend who's uh, serving in China as an older man. I've got a couple, Gary Moore and his wife Shirley. They went to Bible college with me. They're now in their late 50s. They're serving in China. And here's young Sally, Sally Pym, did her training, started at Vose Seminary. I got to know Sally when she's 18. She went on a two-year mission trip, came back at 20, did four years of study at Vose Seminary, is now back on the mission field as a girl in her late 20s. She wants to serve the Lord her whole life. It will capture her youth, her beauty, her, her all. But, you know, that's good. God wants all of you. It's a life of adventure. And so I'd want to say to us, when we come to God, we come to a God who calls us to worship him first. Be drunk with the love of God. Seek his will in the known and unknown places of your life and my life. And share the love of Jesus' forgiveness with others and be filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit with all of us every day through the power and the love of the grace of Jesus who came to earth, lived and died and rose again for the forgiveness of of the brokenness within so that we may embrace God. And he calls us to embrace him this morning. Let's do that now as we pray. Our Father God, we bow before you and we give you thanks for all the wonder of the good news of Jesus, all the wonder of you as our Father, our Abba Father, our Heavenly Father. And Jesus, your Son, and your Holy Spirit, who love us, embrace us. We pray for that to flow over us as we worship you and lift our hearts and minds and souls to you. We pray for you to journey with us by your Holy Spirit. Send us to the known and unknown places of our lives where we share your love. Even amidst the joys and the struggles of that, we pray that we might be filled with your love and your message of love and we might be filled with you through the joy of the Holy Spirit. And we pray these things for your sake and your honour. Amen.